quickly before we start today's episode, guys, we have two sponsors for today's episode. If you guys want to sponsor an episode, contact me at the bot talk on Twitter. I'll go ahead and respond in a timely manner. However, the first sponsor for today's episode is Ferro Kicks. Ferro Kicks is an all-in-one group which applies to all types of bottles. Whether you're an experienced bot or a new bot, Ferro Kicks is the place to be. They have resources going from flipping shoes to low-key flips, and they have loads of opportunities within the group to make some money. And they have international support for all members, so no one is feeling left out they are usually priced at $30 a month however for all buttock views for a very very limited time they are priced at $25 all you guys want to do is head down below to the link in the description label site link enter the password on screen which is the buttock or lowercase all their features are on screen as well as success so you can go ahead and pause the video and check them out I would highly recommend joining also check out their socials which are there as well moving on to the next sponsor we have hype servers hype servers have just recently released their proxies in the same data center as their servers so their proxies come with lower latency speeds if you guys want to go check them out you can go down below into the description and check out their socials on the website and for all botox viewers you can get up to 20% off all your servers and proxies across the site using code the botox at checkout check them out in the description down below without further ado guys let's get straight into today's episode jumping straight into episode 36 of the botox we have tiana paul on the show this is going to be a really good one we have a bunch of stuff to talk about Tiana is predominantly known for literally hitting thousands of pairs on releases. I remember when I first discovered her, I saw some of her success posts. It absolutely is zen. So we're going to jump in straight into this. It's going to be a very interesting one. And once again, guys, if you guys do go and enjoy today's episode, drop a like, drop a comment with your feedback. I read through all the comments. But let's jump straight into a question that I did want to both out to Tiana. Obviously, when you go through your reselling journey and you go through a bunch of releases, there's some releases that are lows. There's some releases that are highs. Obviously, profit margins playing into that. But what were some of the first releases that you went for that were personally memorable for you? I'd say the first release that was like the most memorable for me was probably like the Yeezy Moonrock release. Um, I hit a bunch of pairs on Barney's uh, with Easy Cop. It was a bot like OG sneaker Twitter knows what Easy Cop is. But um, there was that release. I also hit a bunch of pairs on the Breadtoe ones and then um, Supreme, which obviously like kind of helped lead um, my career, career path a little bit was the CGG box logo drop. Um, that was. Uh, Probably those are probably my top three, I guess, most memorable releases. Yeah, definitely. Those releases, there was a lot of money to be made. I was around back then. I know a lot of people that went on to make a lot of money based on the success of those releases. But you used a word there saying OG. Essentially, I just want to pick your brain and talk to you about how the botting scene has was different back then than it is to now. Can you see any big differences? Oh yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean it was way easier to hit like shopify back then it was way easier to hit like sites like barney's and things like that um <clears throat> like you know supreme slayer back in those days were you able to hit like a bunch of boxes with supreme slayer and um i mean it's just the game has obviously changed so like now you obviously can't hit more than like well personally me i'm washed at shopify so i can only hit like a couple pairs i barely hit shopify so that's uh you know a weak point for me but for me like I'd say, you know, the biggest thing was like probably Shopify and like Supreme back then. You were able to hit it easily. Um, it's definitely changed, I think, a lot back then with all the bot protection and everything that they've added to Supreme, Shopify, Nike, like everything. It's way harder to, you know, hit mass nowadays 
unless you have like every single bot in the world. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's people in the community right now, and I know a lot of people that are watching this could relate to this, that have the best bots in the world that anyone could ask for, like Cyber, Kodai, WhatBot, etc. And even having one copy of each of all those bots sometimes doesn't lead to like large success. That's why you see people running loads of servers, getting copies from people, getting running like multiple cybers, multiple barcodes, multiple codes just to get up into those uh, triple digit numbers. Sometimes we see people like yourself hit four digits and that is something that we're going to break down into later in the episode. However, what was the transition like going from being a manual user to entering the botting scene? I mean, I was never really like a manual user. I kind of just like hopped right into like the botting scene. Um, I started in like 2014, I think it was. Um, and my first bot was A and B. But ever since then, it's been like, it's been history, I guess. I mean, I just taught myself how to, you know, how to bot and you, you learn something new each release, you know, that you can improve on. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's how, that's how I, I guess you could say it transitioned, but I never was really like a manual user. I kind of just jumped straight into it. Yeah, that's quite interesting because, you know, most people like myself, I was a manual user first. Obviously, I realized the problem of the fact that everyone talks about these bots, then you jump into bots and then you become a botter. And that's kind of how the history is for a lot of people. But that's interesting. You just literally jump straight into it. That's obviously going to come with its challenges. Did you have any challenges when you first entered the botting scene? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of trial and error that goes into this. So, you know, there's been times where I've set up for hours and struck out, you know, on a on a drop where I think I'm going to get like, you know, 50 to 100 pairs and I don't hit anything just because of like small things like I used the, the wrong proxies or I used one proxy company and that proxy company flopped. So uh, it is like a lot of trial and error, making sure like, you know, what works for you. Um, and another thing, another like tip I guess you can say to beginner botters is just don't put all of your eggs in one basket I know that's kind of hard like when you're limited on uh, funds and, and like resources and stuff but if you can I would definitely suggest using you know different bots different proxy providers and, and things of that nature so you know you're not putting all your eggs I guess in one basket yeah for sure I learned that the very hard way in the beginning you know, a lot of people do as well. You but let's say you spend like fifty pounds or sixty dollars in one proxy company, you're very excited, then the proxies flop and obviously that leads to your botting failure. However, you know, when it comes to botting in general, the way I see it is that like like you said, you spent five to ten hours on release, you expect to make loads of profit. But if you compare that to like a normal job where someone's working online, you spend five to ten hours, you're paid an hourly rate or whatever type of commission it is, you get the money at the end. And that's the thing with botting, it's a lot of trial and error. And linking back to your previous point where you were talking about experience, all with experience, you kind of just track what's the best way to do things with certain sites and that leads to a big success. So if there's any new botters in the crowd that is watching this and uh, are discouraged by these releases, even with the limited funds, literally everyone's been there. Everyone's been in that situation where you're limited on funds and like you go for this release and you have like $20 less, so you have to flip these shoes, take the profit and go to the next release. Everyone's built up like that. So, you know, it's always good to know that everyone's been in that same boat. You know, it gets better once you build your capital, it's easier to do this. And taking tips from Tiana and experienced bottles in the community is definitely the best way to go by. But there's another transition that I did want to dive into. So you became a bottle, obviously you hitting these releases, making a ton of capital, and then you decided to invest that capital into a group. So how did that decision come about? Whenever I would post like my cooks and stuff like that for, you know, Supreme and, and things like that, I always get DMs 
asking about like what I use, what my setup and stuff is. So we created SK Supply, you know, to help the beginners become more advanced, I guess you could say. Um, so SK Supply is more catered to helping like these beginners, you know, use bots and I guess get on their feet with the reselling industry and things like that. So it's just that's pr- pretty much like the reason why I created or wanted to transition from, I guess, going to a botter to creating a group. Yeah, personally, when I go ahead and hit some releases, I don't bot a ton. I go for selected releases. But mm-hmm. when I go ahead and do these releases, I get DMs like saying, oh, what did you do for yourself? And it makes me think like people like you and people that post about their uh, successes and it's large. I'm just thinking like I, I get like five DMs when I hit like four box logos. I wonder how much, how many DMs you're getting. Obviously, that prompted you to go ahead and create this group and spread the information in a more efficient way. So obviously, SK Supply catering towards new people and new people in the community, which we have talked about. However, when you go on any type of business venture, when you go into, obviously, when I went into the bot talk, I had some yeah. preconceived notions. I thought it was going to be like this, and it turned out different. And I feel like you could probably relate to that. When you started SK Supply, what were some of the things that you thought it was going to be like that it turned out to be wrong? I could tell you that it's not like a get rich overnight type thing. That's for sure. Um, I thought it was going to be like, you know, super easy, you know, to do. It's just like a group. You're just going to help them out, provide information, you can get, you know, all that information. It's easy to do, but it's, it's a lot harder than, than it, you know, you guys think it is. You're constantly like looking for new features to add, making sure like members are getting their memberships worth, uh, making sure you don't miss anything. Like even if it's like a small release, you always have that one member that says like, Hey, why didn't we cover this? So like, I'm making sure constantly that I'm covering things. I have to be, uh, you know, on my toes all the time, making sure that I'm not missing anything like on monitors and things like that. So it's just definitely not as easy as like it, I guess is perceived to be, but, um, I mean, I guess that, that was, that's how I thought it was going to be like when I first opened up the group. I thought it was going to be like, you know, pretty easy. I get to like just work from my phone, but it's definitely not that at all. You got to lo- put a lot of a lot of work into it if you want it to grow. So, yeah, I think it links back to the idea with perception versus reality. You know, when you look at a cook group owner or a cook group, you're like, oh, this person's wealthy. This person has loads of money from this group. This is amazing. Let me go ahead and do that. And essentially, the harsh reality of it is that it takes a lot of investment firstly and then you, mm-hmm. there's no handbook there's no there's no course online that says this is how you create your first cook group you go and you jump into it you know loads of problems can come about like you can be like okay let's say you hire five people you pay for the monitors they go all the payments go out on one day you could be making a loss for a long amount of time like i've been friends with cook group owners and when I've been speaking to them, they always say that the first couple of months you'll be in a loss because obviously you've got to build the Twitter hype, obviously do spend money on PR and stuff like that. And then manage to shift these uh, memberships to a point where you're breaking even. And then at that point, you can go on and build. And on top of that, you're competing with, I think at this point, we can probably ho- confidently say hundreds of groups, I think. Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but... I think that obviously with the competition being so large and with loads of releases happening worldwide in different time zones, it is a stressful thing, but if you can perfect it, which I think you have done pretty well with SK Supply, then obviously the rewards do come in. Yeah, of course. I think also right now, like in with the 
cook group scene, you have to stand out. Like you have to have something like a tool or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like a bot in order for you to like really stand out because there's so many. So that's why I'm like constantly like looking to add, you know, new features, like different things that we can do to improve the group or, you know, make sure the members are getting their money's worth. So I think that's like probably the biggest obstacle we faced. But other than that, you know, it's pretty smooth sailing now, but starting off, it definitely was a little bit difficult because you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. One thing that I did want to ask you, obviously with these cook groups, even within bots, I feel like within this community, there is a small element of when someone creates something new, everyone hops on it and everyone hops on it all at once and tries to get mm-hmm. it into their group. Is that Does that become annoying at some point? Like, have you ever brought in a feature where you thought, okay, SK Supply is ahead of this, 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 and this, these, all these groups, does it become annoying at some point that like all these groups have these exact same features or copy the same tools as your group? Um, I mean, I it's I feel like that's how it always is though. Like mm-hmm. I feel like once somebody sees a trend, they're all gonna hop on it. Like you know the capture tool thing. Everybody has that. Everybody has like a toolbox for their group nowadays. Like we had one when we first started, you know, opening SK Supply, and and we want to you know add one. I guess redo it and add another one, but. <clears throat> I don't think um, it doesn't annoy me personally, but I know it probably does like others because, you know, once you see a feature, literally every single person who has a cook group hops on it. It's like, oh, they put a capture tool out. Let me one up them and put a capture tool out with like a spoofer or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to this community, obviously everyone's trying to make their products better. Everyone's trying to make mm-hmm. it bigger. And it links back to like when you were talking about the OG botting scene. I personally would never have ever seen cook groups become this advanced. Like you join a cook group, you've got free extensions, you've got free uh, toolkits. You've literally got like, I think one of the big groups that actually started this trend was Restock World. They changed the way cook groups are because, you know, they brought in all these tools and they were like, okay, you pay X amount, you get this, you get four tools, well, let's say two tools, for example, like a toolbox or whatever it is and then you have the membership on top and obviously that went ahead and started a trend and everyone went ahead and followed it yep that's that's pretty much how how it's gone i feel like you have to be different in order for you to succeed in the cook group world and that's why i'm just trying to i guess make a difference in our cook group with like you know slots and stuff like that because not a lot of groups have the group owner running slots that are actually like successful Mm -hmm. you know what i mean they, they hire people to run slots for their groups and you know we're running the groups doing the guides putting the guides out um constantly making sure we're adding things and then on top of that like running the slots and making sure that they're successful and stuff like that so i guess that's where where we stick out um but you know i'd like to add more tools in the future and add things like that in the future it's just you know i don't want to add the same thing that everybody else is I think one thing I did want to touch upon that you mentioned there, slots. Now, if anyone's mm-hmm. familiar with Tiana, you know that some of her biggest tweets uh, come from these slot posts that you hear hitting like thousands of pairs. Now, I want to dive into it because I'm generally curious. And I know maybe some of you guys will, who are watching at home, how yeah. much of that success is slot based for your group, which obviously is an amazing thing to do. And how much of that is like capital based? Like, are you investing in sneakers in the long run? Are you flipping them for a profit? What does that split look like? I don't really post like my personal um, cooks, but uh, last drop for, I guess the Flint, I hit around like 500 personals um, and the rest were slots. But yeah, I mean, 
it's I usually like I, I haven't really been running personals like crazy because I'm like so focused on running slots. So like recently the past couple of months I have been running slot or personals, but slots is like the main focus. Um, but yeah, I, I do run personals, but not that often. But most of the time, it's usually like all of those posts, like the success posts, the past few drops have been slots. But I barely post like personals because, of course, you know, you have those people coming at your neck, you know, saying you took all the stock. I didn't get it. You're the reason why I didn't get it. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I just tend to like not post those. Yeah, obviously, perception of uh, success within the community, it just depends on the person. You know, this community is so much larger than uh, like, let's say, two years ago when I started. And, you know, there's a lot more diverse opinions than two years ago. Like, if you were to... I know I spoke about this with uh, Michael on some of the first couple of episodes in the Bot Talk. If uh, if you're a cook group and you're not co- cooking releases, some people are going to be like, why should I join your group? But obviously, in your case, like, you cook personals, like, 500 pairs on a release is very good, in my opinion. And then, obviously, you cook slots as well. So, I feel like there's no argument there with you. Obviously, you are successful, but... But one thing that I did want to talk about with SK Supply, with any type of cook group, there's a lot of moving parts to it. You have your monitors, you have your information. But one key element to it is recruiting people and staff. So when you go ahead and take an application for a certain role, what do you look for in someone when you want to recruit them to SK Supply? Um, usually, of course, somebody that's familiar like with the bot scene and like the reselling industry. Uh, someone that's active and that can catch things like when I can't or when, you know, other staff can't catch them or and someone that's trustworthy. Those are probably like the three main things that I look for when hiring someone for staff. Yeah, obviously, I've done my fair share of working in cook groups before I started my own uh, show and podcast. But um, one thing that I did want to balance off you, there's these young kids in the community that are very, very young and securing these roles to make loads of money. What's kind of your stance on that? Obviously, this could be seen as a controversial thing. Like, do you discriminate against, like, younger kids because they're not as mature? Or, like, are you careful about it? What's kind of your whole stance on that? No, I mean, like, if you're a hustler, then then you're a hustler. Like, I don't, I don't care how old you are. Like, if they're doing it young, like, that's great. I have a lot of respect for it, but it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? It's mm. not, not my money, so I don't, I don't really have, like, a... I guess a negative opinion on it I think it's just do your thing definitely I mean if I was 14 years old and raking in like hundreds of pounds or dollars then you know I'd be way ahead of where I am now but obviously I didn't have that um mindset or maturity I feel like it takes a lot of maturity to handle hundreds of dollars be a part of a cook group and make it better so obviously props to all the younger people in the community they know who they yeah. are they know that they're doing well I've spoke like I've worked with people over 14 or 15 don't want to take that in a weird way but it's um they're mature you know they they know what they're doing and uh, obviously props to them for doing that but another element that i did want to talk about when you're running a group like sk supply and you even have other affiliations as well yeah there's one thing to mention that you have a personal life and one common uh thing with all my guests on the show is that obviously all the work they do online does seep into their personal life so when you're running a group and trying to have a personal life and trying to have a life overall what are some of the pros and cons of that um it's tough i i'd like to give advice to everybody listening that don't don't 
put like I guess this cook group stuff and like sneakers and all that stuff like over your family and things like that just because you only have like one mom and dad you want to make sure that you know you're spending time with your family there's times where like you know, I go, I don't live with my parents. So when I go to their house and I'm like on my phone, they're always asking me like, what are you doing on your phone? And it's tough because they don't understand like, you know, what, what I do for a living. And I've explained it to them so many times, but it's just really hard to explain it to someone that doesn't know, um, like, you know, what you, exactly what you do. And they, of course, like you explain it to them and they think like everything that you do is like illegal because you're saying like, oh, I'm getting shoes with bots. They're like, well, is that illegal? Like, are you allowed to do that? you know um yeah. i i guess that's like the con to it it's just you know you want to make sure that you're spending time with your family and and things like that i guess the pros um it's just something i like doing it it's something that i love doing so i guess it's that's the pros to this whole entire thing like do what you love yes yeah, fueling your interests obviously yeah exactly yeah so there's negatives with that obviously with your personal life you know um, mm -hmm. I feel like everyone here kind of relates to that, you know, if you go want to go for this release, but then your friends are like, oh, do you want to go to the cinema? Do you want to go out? I'm like, no, I got to stay home and do this. It's, um, I definitely think with owning something or even being fully into this botting scene itself, you know, I think one characteristic that people need to develop is balance. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You need to find a balance between like your personal life and this because I've let this like consume my life before. And, you know, it's obviously, it's not good to do that. Um, you just have to make sure that you're finding a balance to spend time with your friends and family and stuff like that. Like, don't take the time that you have with them for granted because obviously you're not going to have them someday. So that's my advice. Yeah, I mean, it's spot on advice. I think my kind of stance on it is like, like okay, you stay home, you make an extra $500, but then this might sound corny, but the time you're spending with your friends and your family obviously you can't buy that exactly can you so it's like no it's, yeah it's exactly it's the decision you make if you want to go out you you if you want to pass on a release that isn't too hyped up and you want to go out with your friends and just spend time be happy give yourself a rest that's fine i feel like um it can it can contribute to an idea called like toxic hustle and you know like everyone i i personally feel like everyone these days has this drilled into their head that you know you always have to hustle 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 no break like breaks are such a negative thing these days yeah i was doing that for a while i was doing that for a while and there's times where like even now after releases like you know if my parents don't hear from me for a couple of days they'll be like are you good like what's going on it's just like yeah i was just catching up on sleep from you know the past release that i did and they're just like why does the release take over 24 hours to do like you don't understand hmm. like the stuff that i go through for a drop <laughs> so that's you know there's only i guess downside to to this career so we've talked about your parents then obviously you say you don't live with them and you know yeah we check up on you what do the people in your personal life think about what you do do they understand it or how's no work? not at all they don't understand it like they just they think we're like crazy, you know, if I tell them what I'm doing, because everybody thinks it's just like, it's a gray area, you know, botting's a gray area because you're using a robot to get shoes. Mm -hmm. Like that just, it just sounds suspect, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, but yeah, they don't really understand it that much. I, I've tried explaining it so many times to people and they're just like, mm, I'm just gonna not ask about it because it's really, it's confusing. Of course, you don't know. Yeah, it's not a traditional way to make money. Like, 
you're using automation software to go ahead and secure yourself these pairs and you know maybe in the future maybe like five years down the line maybe botting won't be a thing anymore maybe they'll actually like um enforce rules on it because to be honest like botting isn't illegal but it's in some people's opinion it's not ethical now it depends on your stance on it me personally it's kind of like it's not illegal i'm not breaking any rules uh but um i don't want to be on the losing side so i join the winning side and then i go ahead and secure these releases but um i think explaining it to people in, in my personal life even when i've tried when i said oh i'm buying for these releases it is hard like um i think the only way they kind of understand it is when i get everything in hand and i'm like okay so i use this program to go ahead and secure x amount of this shoe they kind of understand it there but then again it's like if they're not if they're not invested into it then they're not, they don't have the knowledge to go ahead and comprehend what you're doing yeah i mean and sometimes i'll break it down to like people you know my friends and family and they'll understand it but like the next time i talk about it it's like they're completely clueless so it's just i don't know it's just it's a tough tough subject i guess to talk about to people that you know i'm friends with in my family and things like that definitely there's no relatability there no definitely not people have said it to me they're like i think you're like every time i've talked about shoes in front of like a friend you know who's into shoes mm -hmm. and they have somebody with them that's not into shoes and i'll talk about it they'll be like you're speaking another language like i have no clue what you're talking about i mean i think when it comes to botting in general i feel like people don't don't really open up their mind to it they don't really like you can explain it like dot to dot you can explain the exact process they'll understand it but i think uh, i think it comes down to the fact that they don't see the upside of it they don't see like why are you staying for 24 plus hours to secure these releases to go sell it like obviously it's a long process like to go ahead and bought the shoes get the shoes secure the sellers obviously go ahead and sell it i think uh if you're truly truly not opening up your mind to it and researching into it then unfortunately you're not going to fully be able to comprehend it yeah of course i agree with that yeah so this episode has been great i've personally enjoyed it however to end off today's episode I wanted to ask, what are some of the things you have planned in the future with SK Supply in general yourself? Is there any new projects coming out? What can people at home be uh, looking forward to? I don't have anything planned currently, but we have like I have a few things in the works in the near future, but nothing right now. Um, I just keep an eye out, you know, on my Twitter and, and follow SK Supply and the other groups that I'm associated with well this episode was great thank you so much for coming on and guys if you want to check out tiana her socials will be down below as well as sk supplies if you want to know about any other companies that she's affiliated with then you can go ahead and check out our bio on twitter all the groups are there i'm going to catch you guys next time peace out